Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Danny Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC back stateside this weekend for UFC 279, headlined by Kamzat Shemaev versus Nate Diaz. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card. It's part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, I'm also giving you two great interviews. Kicking off the show this week is an interview with Juicy J himself, Julian Arosa, as he gets ready for his fight with Akeem Dawado. He talks about that fight as well as brain health for fighters. It's a really interesting one, so you're going to want to make sure to tune in. And closing the show out this week is our interview with Darian Weeks, who also fights on this card against Johan Lyonese. So we'll get to all that great content for you right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Julian Arosa, who fights Akeem Dawudo at UFC 279, that fight on September 10th. So, Julian, I wanted to ask you, this fight seems to have come together a little bit later than normal. Usually, you know, you see things about eight or nine weeks out. We're seeing this only like four or five weeks prior to the fight get announced. Was it kind of late for you, too? Did this fight come together fast? Have you felt like you had a, a full training camp for it? Um, you know, honestly, for me, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, on top of training, uh, in and out of camps, like pretty similarly, uh, I don't spar as much out of camp because I feel like, you know, I think it's a bit smarter not to, you know, be taking as much brain damage and, and, and having as much ability to get injured outside of camp. But, um, you know, I'm training about 80%, uh, outside of camp that I am inside of camp. So, um, you know, I'm just ratcheting it up a little bit more. And, uh, so you know, having seven weeks, I knew about seven weeks out uh, from the fight uh, is perfect for me. I mean, I fought Nate Landwehr on five weeks. I fought Charles Jordan on 10 days. I fought Sean Woodson on three days. So, honestly, it really doesn't matter to me about uh, the timing uh, per se for the fight exactly to be ready to fight. It's more about my weight. You know, obviously, you know, we're all cutting weight. Everybody, you know, I'm, and I'm a big guy. You know, I'm 6'1 at, at 145. So, you know, for me to make the weight – it's always nice to have a little bit of a heads up. Um, I've done it short notice. Uh, I mean, most of the short notice fights I've had has been, have been 150, so I've done a little bit of a catch weight. But um, it's always nice to get the have a little bit of a, 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 a notice for the weight. Uh, but besides that, honestly, like it don't make a big difference to me. I mean, I fight every day. I mean, we train every day. Uh, you know, this is a lifestyle that we all lead, and uh, you know, so fighting is nothing new. You know, I've been here a bunch. You know, I got 30. Uh, shoot, I got 36 pro fights and, uh, 10 amateur fights. So I've, I've been, I've been here, done it, been around the block. So, um, it's really nothing new to me. And you mentioned at the very beginning of that, that you, you like to make sure that you don't do a lot of hard sparring outside of camp. You do obviously do a lot of damage to your body doing such thing. I'm curious, is that a newer development in your training or is that something, you know, you've been doing for, you know, all 50 some odd fights that you just mentioned? No, man. I used to, uh, shoot, I used to spar every single week, twice a week, six rounds on Tuesday, six rounds on Thursday. And now, um, you know, I've kind of switched it over, you know, just becoming a bit older and, uh, 
I, I know how to fight, you know, so I don't have to simulate fights all the time. And I'm tough and durable, um, as you can see in my previous fights. So I don't need to, you know, break down my durability in the gym so much. So where I go out and my, I don't have as much ability to take those shots. And so, um, for me, it's been more of a, of a, of a recent change. I would say in, you know, in the last couple, you know, handful of fights, I've been trying to spar less and spar less hard, you know? So, you know, now I do three rounds on Tuesday, three rounds on Thursday, and that's max for me, you know, six rounds a week is about max for me for, you know, the six to eight weeks that I know about a fight. And uh, outside of camps, I'll still get some like touch sparring in, and I'll still get a little bit of lighter sparring in. Um, but I'm just not trying to, you know, get my head knocked off at the gym, you know? You, you want to keep as much of that durability for the fight as possible. I love that. I love that. Now, I'm curious, too, is that a, a change that you made on your own, just, you know, like realizing it, it's kind of too much on your body? Or is that a change talking to coaches, talking to other fighters that they sort of help guide you to make? No, honestly, it was, you know, it was kind of on my own. There, I mean, there have been times I got done sparring, you know, and basically tried killing the, you know, my sparring partners and vice versa and, and, and left and drove home. And I couldn't remember who the fuck I sparred. And I was like, God damn, this is not good. Like I can't be, you know, I can't be going home and not under not remembering who I who I just sparred 30 minutes ago. And um, it was just adding up, you know. And uh, and you know, luckily for me, I haven't taken any um, uh, super substantial uh, head trauma. Um, and I get, you know, I get MRIs done every. I, I'm, I'm part of a study, a fighter study at the Cleveland Clinic here in Las Vegas, and so that helps out a lot too. I get, you know, cognitive stuff test on me every year i get mris and cascans and this kind of thing and so um and luckily for me uh they haven't seen any sign of any kind of um uh major brain trauma or any kind of uh uh issues with my brain so that's been nice but um like i said man there's been times where i'd sparred and been driving home and be like who the fuck did i just spar and, and so that was a bit um uh you know that was a bit scary to me and also you know, we, it seems like, you know, especially when I was, you know, coming up, I was like hiding those things from my coaches, you know? So, um, it really came down to me taking that initiative because if it was up to my coaches, they wouldn't even know. Cause I'm like, I don't tell my coaches these things, you know, or especially coming up, you know, I wasn't like telling, Oh man, I got rocked that, you know, that round. And, and I don't remember who I'm sparring and this and that, you know, you try to just tough it out, especially at the gym. And, um, so for me, it had to be something I had to take the initiative. And then I started hearing about, you know, Max Holloway wasn't sparring anymore. Um, and then listening to a podcast and hearing other fighters uh, and kind of what they do. And it, and it seemed like a lot of fighters were, you know, pulling back on, on the hard sparring and just adding more technical stuff. And, uh, and I felt like that was smart, you know, especially getting older. Like, like I said, I'm not 20 years old. I, I don't need to figure out if this is, you know, if I'm built for this, I know I'm tough. You know, I, I've, I've done it so many times and I've had these, uh, gym wars, uh, more than I, I should probably have had, but I, I know what I'm made of. So I don't, I don't necessarily need to prove that to myself or to anybody else. I just need to work on what I need to work on and, and focus more on that versus the hard sparring. And is that something that you've, you know, cause you kind of mentioned that you, you heard from other fighters from various sources that helped you make that change yourself. Is it something that you yourself, you know, seek to pass on to that next generation of fighters, the younger fighters maybe in your gym who are still doing, you know, six to eight rounds of hard sparring a week? Do you try to tell them, you know, like, hey, th this way isn't necessarily what you need? Yeah, you know, I, I always try to tell people, I just give them, you know, a little advice through my own experience. But, um, you know, 
I try not to, you know, tell people specifically what to do because everybody's built differently. I mean, and people, you know, people learn differently. And I think there is a fine line, especially when you're coming up. You really need to, you really need to have some of those, you know, those gym wars to 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 figure out if you're made for this. If you're, are you are you uh, are you really going to be a fighter, or are you or are you just, you know, you want to just, uh, you know, uh, look the part rather than be the part. And so, um, you know, I don't try to necessarily push my own ideas on other people, but. I just try to give advice to my own experience. You know, I've been around, you know, I've been on the Ultimate Fighter, I've been on the Contenders, and I learn stuff every day too. So um, I think it's a two-way street. I never try to be um, somebody that thinks that, like, you know, someone brand new can't teach me something. But I just, in turn, I'd rather just, you know, share advice with people and uh, and just give them, you know, tell them, you know, just like I told you, you know, tell people my my own experience and what I've done to, you know, try to uh, – to fix it and uh, if they want to take that they can if they don't you know they're their own person and i don't want to you know you know try to force or or tell someone what they're doing is wrong because you know i've man i don't even know if I, what i'm doing now is right you know you see you know i you know and fighting is there's so many var- variables that go along with fighting that you know shoot maybe i should be grappling more maybe i should be wrestling more maybe i should be boxing more maybe i should do this or maybe i should do that like it's still it's it's still something that's trial and error. You know, you, you get in there, you fight. Even now, like even off wins, even off you know, you know, obviously off losses, you want to learn. But even off wins, I try to take just as much off winning as I do off losing, and, and, and use those lessons for my next fight. And so, uh, I think just being more open minded about things, you know, can help the younger guys. And obviously, you know, I, I feel like uh, you know how they say. Uh, the youth is, or, uh, you know, it's, it's wasted on the young because, uh, you know, some of these young kids don't, you know, they don't want to listen, but when you get older, like I'm 33 now and all the things that people used to tell me beforehand, they're starting to make sense now. You know, I, I wish I would have understood those things when I was younger, but, um, uh, but I'm starting under, starting to understand them now and, and, and being able to use those and apply those to my, uh, to my fighting style now. I dig that. I dig that a lot. Now, I, I do want to talk about those wins that you mentioned in there, too, at some point in time. But I, I want to ask one more question about this because I'm I'm intrigued. You, you mentioned being in that study, study the fighter study at, at the Cleveland. Is could, could you tell us a little bit more about that and, and maybe how you got into doing that? Yeah, honestly, uh, I'd moved to I moved here from Washington State. I was a struggling fighter and um, uh, MRIs are expensive and I was trying to fight in California and um didn't have the money for an mri and someone had you know led me to uh the cleveland clinic and the the fighter study they had they would give you free mris every year if you were just part of the study and so i called them and they said that they were actually uh you know they already had enough fighters and they didn't need anybody else and i was like oh okay and then she's like well but like how many fights do you have and at the time i had like you know about i think it was like you know, like 28 pro fights and 10 amateur fights. And then she's like, well, hold on, uh, give me a second. And then she come back and she's all like, actually, you know what? We do have room for you. And I think it was because I had so many fights <laughs> that, you know, uh, enticed them to want to have me on there because, you know, I think that's what they were looking for. They were looking for people who had had a lot of fights and to study these guys. Cause if you have no fights, you know, if you're, if you have a minimal amount of fights, uh, obviously, um, it's not going to help their study as much as somebody who's got, you know, 30, 40 fights, they can really study these guys and see what kind of damage and what kind of, um, you know, things have been going on with the guys who have had, you know, the experience. And so, um, luckily for me, 
you know, they made room for me because of my experience. And, um, you know, ever since then I've been able to, uh, you know, uh, work with them and, and it's nice for me just for the peace of mind to, uh, see, you know, to see every year, uh, whether I, there's something I need to be worried about or not. And luckily for me, the last five years I've, uh, you know, I'm, I, I got a clean bill of brain health and, um, and it just gives me that peace of mind because if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have any clue, you know, like fighters don't give a shit about themselves <laughs> physically, honestly, like, especially true fighters, like true fighters just don't even care. Like, which is, it's not a good thing, you know, like obviously we need to be aware of our brain health and, you know, and we, we just don't care about it because we just like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, honestly, I, I don't think people are, are, uh, we don't care about it. I think they just, they could possibly be afraid of it. You know, they're afraid of what they might find out. And so, um, I think that was the biggest hurdle for me was, you know, to get past that first initial, you know, testing and, and just hope that there was nothing, you know, nothing uh, abnormal or, or unusual that would make me have to stop fighting. And so um, after I got past that and, uh, you know, I got a clean bill of health, it was just like, all right, cool. Now I know I can keep fighting and keep doing this and then just stay on top of my own health. I love it. That's awesome. Now, now let's talk about some of your, your most recent fights and your most recent successes, because you are on a hell of a streak here since coming back to the UFC. Four out of five wins here. Wins over big opponents, too. And, and Nate Landwehr, Char- Charles Jourdain, those guys like have gotten a ton of hype recently because of big performances on them. Is it cool for you to see guys that you you know you just beat getting all hyped up? Or, or are you one of those people who like you know doesn't really look back at the guys you beat? No, for sure. I mean, that's that's a, uh, there are huge feathers in my cup cap. And it's like, uh, you know, even like the land where fight, it was like, yeah, you know, he beat Elkins, but it was like a close fight. And, uh, I think Elkins lost that fight because, you know, th- that headbutt that happened and he was bloody, you know, so it was a really close fight, but it wasn't super impressive by land I mean, he was a bit brash in that fight, uh, and talking shit and this and that. So he was a bit of a personality. And so when I got the fight with him, it was only his second UFC fight. So, after I knocked him out, it was like kind of whatever. But then after he, you know, he beat uh, Ludovic Klein, and then uh, who's a savage and who's going on to do crazy things as well. And then uh, he beat Onama, and uh, that was a crazy fight. And it was, it was a big opponent. And I think both those fights he might have been the underdog. And so I think he was the underdog in both those fights. So for him to go and have that type of resume after losing to me, and even the you know the, the fight before that, the Darren Elkins fight, like that resume is great on his part. And for me to get that win over him, like I did is huge. And then, um, even like Sean Woodson, like, even though he had a draw his last fight, I'm still Sean Woodson's only loss on his professional record, which is, which is great, you know? And you I mean, he, and he has a knockout over Terrence McKinney on contender. So it's like, you know, that resume is crazy as well. And then, you know, a guy like Jordan, who's up and coming. Um, I think I beat him more with the experience than, um, uh, than being, you know, technically better than him. I, I think he's a tough young kid that's coming up and I think he just lacked experience for our fight but yeah he's going on and do and having a crazy fight with Burgos that was close I think it could have been a draw because I, I thought maybe the third round was a 10-8 so um that could have been a draw against Burgos who's like you know a top-ranked guy and then um you know and then uh he beat uh Andre Ewell and then uh, uh Venata and choked out Venata so it's like you know his resume is crazy as well and then Peterson's a vet as well he's been around the block a long time and uh and for me to go out there and and have that war with him and get fight of the night and, uh, and, and do, and have that, you know, kind of pan out the way it did was, uh, was I think the best way it could have, because, um, it showed, it showed my fighting style, like, 
you know, everything that I'm about in that fight. You know, it was it really just showed me being able to dig deep uh, against a guy, another kid who's willing to dig deep as well, and uh, and just kind of outsmart him. You know, the you know the third round was able to get those takedowns, and I think that solidified the win for me. But um, uh, yeah, you know, just the you know the resume of the guys that I've beaten. Um, you know, and, and have them going on to do better things is great. You know, if, if you beat somebody and they kind of fizzle out, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean much, you know, but if you beat guys that are going out and, you know, hammering other good dudes, then it just, it, it, it just raises your stock. And, uh, and I don't really, you know, I don't dive too deep into that, but um, it's just nice to have that. And it's just, like I said, another feather in the cap. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that this is is putting you up in that names that, that are going to get big fights, right? Like, obviously, the Hakeem Dawudu fight is a big fight. The guy has had his name in the top 15 at a point or another. So so my question to you is, it, it, do you, if you win this fight, you come out looking as good as you have in those last ones, do you expect a number by your name or at least, like, a big-name fight in the next one? You know, honestly, for me, it's just, like, one fight at a time, you know? There was a time where I... I I was contemplating fighting anymore because I'd been cut from the UFC. I was one in four. I was on a three fight losing streak in the UFC and cut for the second time, been on ultimate fighter, been on contenders and, you know, and, and, and dealing with some of these trials and tribulations. I know a lot of guys, uh, you know, even with less trials and tribulations have pulled themselves out of fighting and figured out something else to do. So there was a time when I wasn't even thinking that fighting was my career anymore. I was really thinking about doing other things because I didn't know if I was going to be able to get another shot in the UFC or uh, or on any other big organization. So for me, um, I don't necessarily ever like to look past fights. I just like to look at the guy ahead of me because there was a time when I had no guy ahead of me in the UFC. So just to, I'm just blessed enough to be able to still fight in the UFC and chase this dream down. So for me, I don't care if they have any numbers against their name. You know, I know Hakeem is probably going to be you know my toughest test to date. But um, I'm one of those guys that uh, really mixes it up well, and uh, and I can make it difficult for Hakeem, and I, you know, and that's what I plan on doing. But you know, whether he has a, uh, a number next to his name or not, that doesn't make a difference. And I'm not really looking past him at new opponents after that. Honestly, I just like to fight guys that will make a fun fight, and I think Hakeem uh, uh, brings that. You know, he's a, he's he's a willing uh, dance partner in the stand-up, so. I'm really looking forward to that and, and just trying to put on a show for everybody. Well, we'd love to hear that. Now, before I like to let any fighter go, I always do like to get a prediction out of them. You know, you mentioned mixing it up, making it hard for them, but you also mentioned that you love to stand and bang and, and put on a show for fans. So <laughs> how do you see this one ending with Hakeem Dawido on September 10th? Oh, man. With Hakeem, I think my best uh, route to victory is going to be a third-round uh, stoppage via either TKO or submission. Um, obviously, uh, the Darce choke is like one of my favorites. So if it is a submission, I'm, uh, I plan on it being a Darce choke. Um, but honestly, I just want to try to drown him with cardio and conditioning and just persistence and pressure, um, and, uh, and try to finish him in those, uh, in those later, in the later round of that fight. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Julian Arosa who fights Hakeem Dawado at UFC 279 that fights September 10th. Julian, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course, man. No problem. And I enjoy doing these and thank you for, uh, spread the word. Well, we have enjoyed that interview with Julian Juicy J. Arosa. I want to get up Daniel Cubby for you joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, before we begin talking about UFC 279, I want to get your thoughts on UFC Paris. Surreal Gain picks up a big win, but 
I think some people out there saying he may have lost a little stock in that performance. He obviously gets tagged, said his lights went out during the fight. What do you take away? Do you think he is maybe lost a little bit of that luster? Uh, I, I don't. I still think he's a very technical striker. Um, I think that was his 11th or 12th fight, if I'm not mistaken, professionally total. I think Ciro Gain is still growing. I don't view a, this is not finished product, Ciro Gain. And I think Trivasa just hits hard. It's the heavyweight division, baby. Do I think Ciro Gain is a future champion in the next year and a half? No, I do not. I do not think he's going to beat Francis Naganu, who I anticipate to hold that title um, for the time being. But I still like him over most of the sort of more brawlery strikers in the heavyweight division. But that being said, mad props to Tai Tuivasa. He almost ended the fight. We'd be talking about a much different heavyweight landscape right now if he did. And I really think Tuivasa is going to move into that Derek Lewis like fan favorite role where, you know, he either ends guys or gets finished. And it's just uh, it's always a fun party when he fights. What did you think of it all? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to the surreal game point, but I, I want to capitalize on what you said there about Tai Tuivasa. He, he is one of those guys who now you feel like can beat anybody, but probably won't, right? Like the the, the Derek Lewis is, right? Like he could could he beat surreal game? Absolutely, probably, but he will he likely probably not. Um, you could probably say the same thing about Curtis Blades, although you know Curtis Blades did uh, did get caught by Derek Lewis. You'd probably say the same thing fighting Tai Tuivasa. Should he lose to Tai Tuivasa? Hell no, but is there a chance? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right about that comparison. And, and as far as the real game goes, the only thing that kind of took some of the shine off for me about him is, you know, he lost that fight to Francis Ngannou because he played the close, safe, technical battle, didn't take very many risks, didn't go try to finish the fight. And then kind of got surprised by wrestling and, and all kinds of other things from, from Nganu. What this shows me, though, about Surreal Gain, though, is the fact that when he decides to turn up that pressure, when he decides that he needs to go for it, he needs to get that finish, he needs to put on a performance, he leaves himself open to shit, right? Because, like, if he did that against Francis Nganu, you know, he'd be bleeding from his ears on the canvas, right? Like, it, it, he wouldn't get a second shot like he did against Tai Tuivasa. So... I lost a little bit of hope that, like, he could just have gone for it more against Francis. Now, granted, he could definitely win that technical battle against Francis or Stipe or John Jones or whoever it is he's fighting next. But, like, that that other aspect of him seems kind of gone to me. I think that's totally fair. Um, now, where do you book each guy from there? Because clearly no one, you know... It's not like Cyril Gaines is just going to go right back into the title mix or the title shot, I should say. So where do you go with each guy? Yeah, I, I think Surreal is kind of in a tough spot because, you know, it seems like John Jones versus Stipe for an interim title is all but a done deal. I know there's been some stalls on that. We haven't heard much on that front. You know, it sounds like Francis isn't going to be ready till early 2023. And obviously that's if he resigns with the company. But let's just say, you know, devil's advocate, he resigns with the company. That interim title fight gets made. We're talking about Surreal not fighting for the winner if he did choose to wait until August or September of next year. It seems unlikely. So you got to imagine he's going to get one more fight in there. I know he said he doesn't want it, but Curtis Blades makes all the sense in the world. You know, I, I'd put him against Curtis Blades for, you know, the future, future title shot, whatever that might look like uh, by the time we get to it. 
I think it would, you know, prove one more thing about Surreal, which would be fun. And it also proved one more thing about, you know, Curtis, if he had the chance. Um, as far as Tai Tuivasa, I, I think you just have to find fun fights for him. You know, like the same with the Derek Lewis thing. Like he already beat Derek Lewis, obviously. But, you know, maybe when Tom Aspinall comes back from his knee surgery, maybe Tom Aspinall is a name we put out there. You know, the Chris Dawkinses of the world certainly wouldn't hurt. Like, you know, he's going to beat a lot of those dudes, but, you know, maybe get him back on the winning track. I like it. Well, let's get ourselves back on the winning track because it's time for our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC 279. But before we start breaking down fights, giving a parlay to play, and talking about some live dogs, one may wonder if any fine company sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MMA Play 365. MMA Play 365 is a predictions and betting service out here trying to help the public make money on the UFC and MMA in general, for one super low fee, you get access to their professional handicapper with a six-year winning record who will give you full breakdowns, parlays, and their official bets. But that's not all. For the same great price, you also get access to their brand new Bayes AI prediction software, which uses advanced algorithms to give you percentages on every possible outcome for every single UFC fight. They got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a daily fantasy one, if that's your gig. So go check them out, MMAplay365.com. Don't forget to use promo code TOPTURTLE for 10% off their annual package. All right. Uh, we actually, well, you know what? I'll save it. When we get to our parlay to play this week, I want to talk about how we hit our parlay last week. So I hope everyone's listening to us. But let's start with the main event. Uh, Kamzat Chimayev is a minus 1050 favorite, a 10 to 1 favorite going against the veteran. Nate Diaz, a plus 700 dog. The last fight on his contract, and they have thrown him to the wolves. Nate Diaz, uh, what can you even say? Let's go back to his big win over Conor McGregor. That was back in March of 2016. Since that time, he is one and three. He beat Anthony Pettis for unanimous decision, lost to Conor McGregor in a close, albeit majority decision loss, went to the bell, won two rounds for sure in that fight. Uh, lost to Jorge Masvidal via TKO, Dr. Stoppage. Uh, you know, I would have liked to see Nate keep going in that fight. We all know Diaz brothers get their eyes cut. New York Athletic Commission, you can never trust them. But he was clearly losing to Jorge Masvidal. And then the last time we saw him, June of 2021, he was so broken, battered, beaten. Uh, Leon Edwards just whooped his butt for four and a half rounds, but then Nate poured it on. He came back. Leon Edwards tired, and you almost thought Nate was going to finish him, but he couldn't. Now he's a plus 700 dog in his last fight on his contract. I know you're picking Chemayev. There's no shock there. Uh, let's talk about a path to victory for Nate Diaz and your overall breakdown of this fight. I mean, I think really the path to Nate Diaz is a couple of things. Number one, I think Kamzat Chemayev not wanting to go to the ground with him is an important facet of it. Because I think Kamzat, if he were on top of Nate Diaz and felt good about his, uh, let's let's say, jujitsu defense, I think he just grind and pounce the shit out of him until his face is, you know, Hamburg and the Athletic Commission stops it. But with that being said, he, he was a little bit worried about going to the ground with Gilbert Burns, it took him a lot of effort to get him there. There were some jujitsu threats once he got there. So then he just decided to box with Gilbert Burns. And as we learned about Kamzat Chemaev, maybe not the most sterling boxer in the whole wide world. So 
you know, like if for some reason he becomes scared of, of grappling with Nate Diaz or doing jujitsu with Nate Diaz, I think that would go a long way. I also could see him kind of tiring. You know, he didn't look so fresh in round three against Gilbert Burns. This is a five round fight. If it gets to the fifth round, we know Nate Diaz will not be tired. He's Nate Diaz. The dude runs triathlons, right? So if Kamzat Chmaev decides to take a more boxing heavy approach, uh, or even if he gets a couple of those takedowns and feels good on the ground for the early rounds, but maybe he's exhausted for round five. You could see Nate Diaz maybe landed a big shot. He's definitely going to need to finish. This dude is not winning this fight on the judges' scorecards. So I think that's probably the path to victory. But as you said, I'm picking Kamza. I think he's going to probably finish Nate Diaz. He's probably going to do so with ground and pound. Um, I don't think Nate's the type who's going to get subbed here. So, yeah, Kamza's the play all day. Yeah, Kamza's the play. But if you want to, you know, depending on how professional or, uh, I guess, recreational of a gambler you are, if you just want to put a fun 50 down. A fun $20. You're going to a party with friends. You're a casual MMA fan. Although, let's face it, if you're listening to our show, you're not a casual. You're a smart baby. Uh, but that being said, Nate, round five, finish. Nate, just something wacky that pays out, you know, 20 to one. That's where Nate wins the fight in some insane, crazy universe where Kamzat is tired and Nate catches him in a guillotine. In a triangle, something of that nature. All right. Uh, not much use talking more about that fight. I think the odds basically tell the story. Let's talk about Li Jingling, though. He's a minus 305 to Tony Ferguson, a plus 255. Oh, how Tony has fallen. Uh, once one of the top fighters in the division, he's on a four-fight losing streak since beating Donald Cerrone back in June of 2019, which, let's face it, not what it used to be even seven, eight years ago. He lost to Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira and Benil Darouche and Michael Chandler via a vicious front kick. This would be five in a row, and Li Lang does not look like he's slowing down. He's coming off a big TKO win over Muslim uh, Salikov. He lost to Kamzat, the aforementioned before that, beat Santiago Ponzinibbio before that, and lost to Neil Magny before that. So two and two in his last four is Li Lang, and looking to put together a little bit of a win streak here against the fading um tony ferguson who you got so i'm gonna go with lee jingliang and and i hate doing it but here's the facts of the matter like tony ferguson i don't think is as much of a shell of himself as people think he is um you know like if you go back and look at that first round with michael chandler he beat michael chandler in the first round he was winning that fight but one thing that you have to say about him is that he does not take a punch like he used to Right. That that is a fact of the matter. He has taken some concussive blows and it is built up on this man. And the problem is now he's moving up to welterweight. What in the right mind is that a good move for? He's now going to be hit by bigger and stronger people and a guy in Lee Jingliang who's got a lot of TKO finishes on his record. I think people forget how much of a finisher he is. And in addition to that, Lee Jingliang, underratedly good offensive wrestler. He's a god awful defensive wrestler but underratedly good offensive wrestler. And I think the problem with, with Tony Ferguson that we've seen is as he's gotten older and as he's kind of hit that, that downward trend on the aging curve, we've seen the fact that his takedown defense isn't what it used to be, right? Like he can just get taken down and kind of grind it out there. And so even if the striking's not going the way that Lee Jingliang wants, 
I think that backup plan of just kind of like grinding out a couple of rounds against Tony Ferguson, I think that's still there. So I'm taking Lee Jingliang. Boom. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm not I, – I mean, I, again, maybe it's sort of like a, another Nate Diaz situation. Lee Jingliang tires. Tony Ferguson, funky striking, maybe catches him with the off-angle elbow, but it, it would be a wacky win is the way I see it going down. Um but yeah, uh, let's talk about Kevin Holland, a minus 200, and Daniel Rodriguez, a plus 170 dog. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez has put together a nice three-fight win streak here, wins over Mike Perry, Preston Parsons, and Kevin Lee all the way back in August of last year. Um, so here we are a year later, and he's looking for four in a row against Kevin Holland. Holland is on a two-fight win streak, wins over Alex Oliveira via TKO and Tim Means via Darce Choke. Both those fights happened this year. So this is the third time he's fighting this year. Um, had an accidental clash of heads with Kyle Dawkins before that. Uh, lost to Marvin Vittori and Derek Brunson before that. So if you want to peel it back to the past two years, he's 2-2 two, two, and one no contest. But Kevin Holland finds himself the 2-1 to one favorite here. Who you got? Yeah, I don't like him as a two to one favorite here. I'm going to go with D Rod. Um, I, I, and don't get me wrong, there, there's reasons to like Kevin Holland. Obviously, he's much longer than D Rod. He used to fight up a weight class, but look, Rodriguez has gone in there and he's really blasted some people who are pretty damn good strikers, right? Like we watched him dominate Kevin Lee, who's yeah maybe not a great striker. He dominated Mike Perry, who just went and beat MVP in a bare knuckle boxing match. So, you know, he's gone out there. He's pretty much beat everybody you could expect him to beat. He's got tons of volume. He can match the volume of Kevin Holland. And to be honest, I think he probably hits harder than Kevin Holland. So, yeah, I'm going to take a little stab here. I'm going to go with D-Rod. I think he uh, hits him with enough stuff. He hits him with hard enough stuff that he gets it done here. Boom. Well, not much more needs to be said about that. Our underdog of the week is Chris Barnett, a plus 340. Everyone loves Chris Barnett. So make him your (laughs) underdog, right? Yeah, it's part of that everybody loves him, but it's also a little bit of a fade of Jake Collier. I don't love Jake Collier. The dude is, I mean, like, if you're fading Chris Barnett because of uh, how he looks, Josh, Josh or Jake Collier is in worse shape than him. So he's a fun taekwondo kickboxer. He's given you plus 340 odds. I think he can outstrike Jake Collier and route to a decision. But also, I was just messing around with some props here. If you think he can get the TKO, much like he did against uh, kind of the overweight Jean Volante, that bet's off at plus 600. So, like, I think there's lots of value here on Chris Barnett. I think his striking style is wildly underrated. And I think he's hungry going in there, too. Obviously, he's got a lot of personal stuff that has gone on between his last two fights. So, I'm riding with him on this one. All right. Well, let's ride with our parlay to play. Let's hear about last week, which we hit, and hopefully people listened to our advice. But this week, we're talking about Irene Aldana, minus 170, and Norma Dumana, minus 365. Strong favorites, 2-1, to 4-1, to one, but add them together. Get you plus 102 odds. Let's hear it all. Yeah, shout out to last week where we hit our uh, all-France parlay of Nasoradini Mavov and uh, Benoit Saint-Denis believe that bet off at plus 110 so hopefully you were tailing on this this one is not a big payout either we're just still cracking the plus numbers but i love arini aldana against macy chase i can't believe it's only negative 170 because the bottom line is is that she is just such a better striker than macy chase on really only path to victory here in my estimation is to wrestle and aldana knows that so you're going to see a better version of aldana stuff in that and i think you're going to see her hands on display Norma dumas is fighting danielle wolf 
The woman is 1-0 professionally. That one fight on Contender Series, wasn't impressed by it. I think you're going to see Norma Dumont here as a large favorite come out and just take it to Daniel Wolf. You know, take her down if she needs to, put her up against the cage, wear her out. Negative 365 sounds steep, but when you pair it with Aldana, it gives you plus 102. All right. Well, that does it for us. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty at Top Turtle MMA on all the social medias. Gumby, we're a moving on this show. We're shakers. We're movers. We keep going. We just go. Where should we go next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Darian Weeks, who fights Johan Lionessi at UFC 279. But before we get to that interview, I have to let you know. This interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Darian Weeks. All right, and joining me today is Darian Weeks, who fights Johan Lainese at UFC 279, that fight on September 10th. So, Darian, before we get into talking about that fight with Johan, I did want to mention, you know, obviously you had that fight booked in France September 3rd, you know, just a week prior. Were you looking forward to fighting in France? Is it kind of a bummer that you, you wind up pulled from that card? Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's slightly a bummer. You know, everybody would like to go to France, you know, especially when you've never been. Um, and especially it being the first card uh, ever in France, and not only that, in Paris, France, it's kind of something that you, you know, would like to be involved in. But um, not too bummed out. They put me on a, another great card in UFC 279, so um, I kind of traded a good thing for a good thing, you know what I mean? Absolutely, and and obviously knowing that you're fighting a week later and, you know, not having to extend the training camp all that long, I have to imagine then it was something with your opponent. Did you ever really get a reason why they had to pull you off the card? Um, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I didn't get like a valid reason. UFC never said anything to me personally, but I think it was um, I was he- seeing some hearsay on Twitter, and it might have just been that he didn't have enough MMA fights for the French Boxing Commission to allow him to do the sport, um, which blew my mind because you know he's, he's decorated in um, glory kickboxing and 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 uh, he has over eighty some odd fights, so. Um, it kind of threw me by a loop, you know, for them to, you know, say he didn't have enough fights to participate. But um, it being the first French card, um, I think they were just kind of trying to, you know, cover their ends and make sure, you know, nothing happened on their behalf. So, um, which is disappointing, you know, maybe he'll get more fights and we'll see each other uh, later on down this road. So, um, so on to the next one for me, though. That makes a lot of sense. Now, obviously, you know, you just mentioned he's a guy who who is a kickboxer. He's a decorated kickboxer, comes from glory. Luckily, they kind of switched you with a guy who at least likes to stand and bang. Is there enough similarities there that you felt like it was like kind of a normal switch where there wasn't too much game planning change? Or do you feel like there's a big difference between those two opponents? Oh, um, I feel like there's a difference, yeah. I mean, obviously... um... Uh, Johan doesn't have the kind of athleticism that uh, Cedric does um, with the speed. Um, but, I mean, he's still a guy who comes straight forward just the same as Cedric. Uh, he has a little more wrestling than uh, Cedric would have had. So um, I think there's a couple of the differences, but not, not, not enough to really, uh, to really uh, make us have to worry, you know, or scramble around and do a new game plan. Um, we were kind of setting the game plan anyway um, of covering all bases. 
uh, you know, you know, who knows if Cedric would have came out here, you know, learning wrestling for the last, you know, two months. So uh, we came in and tied in everything, making sure we were um, on our toes, making sure we had all bases covered. So we weren't really too worried when they switched up the opponent. Um, we we uh we kind of adjusted just well, you know. What I mean, we may have changed like a small one-two thing, but I mean, not nothing tragic. Well, that's good to hear. Now, I wanted to talk to you about your wrestling, too, because obviously, you know, going into a fight with a kickboxer, you know, you were you were covering all your bases, but I have to imagine, you know, there was some extra emphasis on the wrestling there. You, you've you had really successful wrestling in your first two fights. You know, you took down a tough veteran in Brian Barberena a bunch of times. You got this prospect that everybody thinks is untouchable down one time, you know, like you, you had lots of success against these two guys, and obviously the nod doesn't go your way. Do you take a lot of pride in that, or is it just one of those things where, you know, you're, you're disappointed because you walk out of there without the W? Uh, definitely disappointed. Uh, I don't take pride in any loss just because, you know, at the end of the day, it's still that other guy won and I lost, you know what I mean? So uh, there might have been a good some, some good things that we uh, executed in those fights, but there could have been some better some better capitalizations on those executions. Um so, you know, it kind of disappoints me. And, and we already knew what my athleticism was. We, we, we knew that we were able to beat Barbarina. We knew that we were able to beat Ian Gary. The, uh, the difference in those fights was we just didn't act on it, you know. Um, things, you know, didn't go our way. The feeling didn't go our way in the ring that night, you know what I mean? And, uh, and it just, you know, it kind of disappoints. But, you know, we, we, we set those aside and we know where our athleticism stands. We know uh, where our strength stands, uh, where our skill set stands. And, we, we'll, we'll capitalize on uh, every fight uh, from here on out. Well, that's good to hear. Now, now, you said in there a couple of times you didn't feel like you capitalized on your big moments or you didn't capitalize on the things that you were doing well. Do, do you feel like that was the difference maker in those fights, that you felt like, you know, you, you had the opportunity to do something and, and maybe just didn't pull the trigger or didn't, you know, push forward enough? Yeah, definitely. The oppor- that's, that's definitely the reason for most most of it, uh, especially, you know, in that Ian Gary fight, uh, you see uh, the, the the few shots I did land were were devastating shots. You know, I hit him once with a right hook, uh, bloodied his nose up uh, in the first round. Hit him with a vicious cheap kick that blew him off his feet. Um, hit him with a nice clean elbow cage. I mean, we had we had beautiful moments in there that we could have just kept attacking, and it would have led to to the finish. Um, and you know, I guess my mindset was lagging behind, and I mean, it's just. It just didn't 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 flow together like we like we could. Um, and the same with Barbarina, you know. Barbarina, you know, we were doing good exchanges back and forth, which, you know, in turn, I feel like, you know, I was getting the better of the exchanges. But in that in that sense too, just because I felt like I was getting the better of the exchanges, I let myself go into coast mode and say, oh, you know, you won this by decision. You took him down four times, you know. You know, you, you he hasn't taken you down any, and I let that ride my mindset. And it should have it should not have. I should have went for the kill moment, you know, and I just didn't act on it. Well, it sounds like you've done a lot of thinking about the mental side of the game going into this fight. It, it, do you feel like this is like a new piece to your game, thinking more about, you know, like the, the little bits and pieces of the mental aspect of it, or is this always something you, you've kind of broken down? Um, it's, it's, it, I've always been a thinker uh, in and outside the cage, but I will say that it has escalated my thought process just because of the skill level that you're, you're at now, you know what I mean? Like, we fight in the best in the world, you know? This is not only the best in Missouri or the best in, you know, whatever city you come from. This is the best people around the world in this sport. So it does have to you're, – you're thinking and you're breaking down, decipher, deciphering uh, each each opponent is 
got to heighten because of their skill level now. Their skill level is so much higher. And also, they're on that thought process at the other end, too. You know, they have their mindset breaking you down. They have coaches behind them breaking you down. So it's kind of, you know, kind of turns into a chess match before you ever get in the ring. I love it. I love that mentality. Now, let's talk a little bit about who who you're going to be breaking down this time, which is Johan Lainese. You know, you, you said, you know, not too many changes when you had to move from from Cedric to him. But what did you think about him as a possible opponent, him as somebody you were going to have to face in there in the cage? Um, uh, I, I, I feel, you know, he's a he's a strong opponent. Um, he's looking he's fishing for his first win, just as I am for uh, for his first win in the UFC. So um, I feel like he'll come aggressive in that point. He came very aggressive in his contender series and he even came very aggressive uh, in the fight between him and Gabe Green. Um, maybe too aggressive because it seemed like he blew his load uh, leading into that second round, which uh, ultimately led to his demise. Um, but I feel like, you know, he's a strong athlete. He's he's determined. He has a, a, a strong, aggressive presence in the ring. Um, and he comes forward and he attacks, you know. He uses everything. He uses his wrestling. He uses his striking. You know, he tries to swarm you. So I feel like, you know, he's a, he's a very aggressive and, and dangerous opponent, you know, no one to take lightly. Um, and then, and I won't, but I still feel like, you know, we have the edge over him so far being our athleticism, so far being, you know, our forward pressure. I feel like we'll outdo his. Um, I feel like we can win that battle in there. And also I feel like uh, my wrestling will, will gain the upper hand in that world too. All right. Well, I always like to get a prediction out of my fighters before I let them go. So tell me, how's this one end on September 10th when you fight Johan Lainese? Um, I don't know which round it ends, but it ends in a finish. So uh, we're going to go in there. We're going to employ our game plan. We're going to take our time. We're going to notch away from, from his, uh, you know, skill set. We're going to notch away from his cardio very one by one and then eventually go for the kill and uh, put him away. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Darian Weeks who fights Johan Lainese at UFC 279. That fight September 10th. Darian, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on here. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, MMA Play 365 and Maroon Social. And as a reminder, you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA on both Twitter and Instagram. Until next week, I'm Danger Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.